All right, welcome, welcome. Oh, I thought we were getting the Star Wars m- music here. All right, I'm not paying any attention to the production notes or anything, am I? I still don't, I still don't know what's happening, but I know it's the nose. <laughs> And I know that we're talking about the new Star Wars movie, and we're talking about a couple of other things first before that, and I will tell you about those things. But first, let me tell you who's on the show right now. Uh, Rich Holland is a principal at CoLab, a founder of Free Center and commissioner on, cult- uh, on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Holder Mira is a multimedia producer at Trinity College and a city studio board member. He's making his nose debut today. How can that be? But it is. Carolyn Payne is doing the opposite of that. She is doing her second consecutive nose in two Fridays. She is an actress, comedian, dancer, and she is founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. And I would just like to say that she probably does some other things, too, as well, in terms of being a performer. And so if you need somebody to, like... (laughs) host a thing and be funny or be in a commercial like the person you had basically booked to do some commercial now is really sick or something or just fire them fire or you could just fire them i'm just saying that because of the stress put on her by putting out the nutcracker sweet and spicy 10th anniversary uh, production and then the cold that she catches after that every single year <laughs> she's a little bit behind on her work right now so i'll handle things just send uh, email me colin at ctpublic.org. I take a small percentage, but um, so yeah, if you need Carolyn Payne for almost anything, I mean, that involves being entertaining, uh, I don't think she's going to like detail your car for you or anything. She wouldn't want me to do that. <laughs> well, there's, there's that too. All right. A couple of things I want to quickly mention, uh, uh, especially in terms of Rich, the Hartford Commission on Cultural Affairs is looking to appoint five new honorary positions. When we say honorary positions, you don't get like a Humvee that comes with this or anything like that, right? We're working on that. Okay. So it's literally honorary <laughs> positions. But it would be like city troubadour, a storyteller. What else? Do you think of anything else? There's this- a flow artist, earth artist, and a uh, city commentator, All right. which is you one do- that's going to do critiques. All right. So you live in the city. That's the whole idea. Big thing. You got to live in the city. Yeah. You got to do those things. You can't right. just like decide that, hey, you know what I really wanted to do all my life. Mm. Um, and you have to have some proficiency, right. and you have to apply. All and, those things. Uh, to the, to the uh, Cultural Affairs Commission. Absolutely. All right. Uh, go to hartfordarts.org. And, and be ready to give up three years. Three, three years. Three years. Yeah. And it doesn't pay, so Carolyn is— Well, no. Oh, it we're, does. We're, you could. We're, we're, doing, yeah. we're doing a big fundraising drive right now. All right. So, um, let, so let, it Let me pay. handle this for you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we have I think I should get Colin to handle yeah. all this for right. Um <laughs> I also have to quickly make an announcement. This will affect a small slice of the population, but but there you go. So uh, usually, including tonight, the rerun of the show will appear at 8 p.m. here at CT Public. Starting Monday, things are going to be different. There's a new show that is uh, being introduced at 7 p.m. I believe it's called The World or pa- possibly World. But don't hold me to that, uh, which means where we live is going to bump into our spot at 8 p.m. We're going to bump into whatever was at 9 p.m. So we'll be on at 9 p.m. So if you're a big fan of our 8 p.m. rerun, I would actually encourage you to do the downloady podcasty thing. You know, in other words, you can listen to us anytime you want through the miracle of downloady podcasty things. So, and if you don't know how to do that, consult a millennial or something. Uh, all right, so here we go. Now, finally, finally, we're getting moving here, I think. Um, we're going to begin with a topic that I happen to know Rich doesn't like. Um, <laughs> and the reason I know is because we've tried to get him to talk about it in the past. Uh, so uh, this is uh, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle, otherwise known as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Uh, and they have announced that they are going to step back as senior members of the royal family. They will split time uh, between the United Kingdom and North America. They bought a really nice place in Simsbury. Uh, and, uh, 
<laughs> Archie is going to play travel soccer, and it's going to be great. Um, so, um, so, and this is causing all kinds of trouble, and <laughs> their their wax figures were removed from the the royal collection at Madame Tussauds, I guess, because like you know, because I don't know why. Uh, and various members of the family are upset, and and I don't think I'm going to go to Rich first on this. I'm going to go to Carolyn first because. <laughs> So everybody has a different relationship, particularly we Americans have different relationships with the royal family. I mean, I think in England, it's a fair question. What is the royal family for? But it is for certain things. They do certain things. It's not a completely meaningless thing. Witness recently Boris Johnson's negotiations with the Queen. Uh, they are not absolutely politically meaningless. In terms of Americans, though, I think we all, each of us gets to choose how much we care about any of this. And if I had to guess, Carolyn, that you were going to care about any of these people, probably Harry and Meghan would be number one and two on your list, particularly since you might be up for work against Meghan at some point in the near future. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't want to have to compete against a princess or a former she, princess or duchess, 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 whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really – so growing up, I had a huge crush on Prince Harry. <laughs> and I used to joke that I wanted to like meet him and I felt like we would breed like really wild gingers together. Right. And <laughs> Um, I, I do. Is that allowed? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's allowed it just seems like they should get away from the recessive stuff, right? Exactly. Probably, you know? yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I had do. the same feeling about Megan. <laughs> there you oh. go. Well, maybe we can just you know. double date. Yeah. Um, I, I do have. I have a ginger kitten that I named Prince Harry, but I spell it H A I R Y. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the words Prince Harry are. Uh, Has he announced oh. that he's going to change his duties at all? Is he stepping back? Your cat? I mean. Um, you know what? I think he is. He's going to... Is this the cat who destroyed a Christmas tree or something? He did destroy a Christmas tree this year. Yeah. Yeah, He took... He knocked the tree down and tore everything off of it. Yeah. I woke up in the morning to just total destruction. Like, Christmas was over. My cat just, like, pulls the skirt away and licks the water. Oh, see, that's nice. That's like a... But then he wakes me up at two in the morning. We're getting off topic. But it's my fault. My fault. We've we've gone astray. But yeah, I don't really have, like, a great connection to... uh, You don't care. Royals. Nah. Yeah. Nah. See, I find this Helder to be very interesting just in the sense that, I mean, we can't imagine what it would be like to be these people. But I think when we do try to imagine it, aided somewhat by, you know, series like The Crown, which I admit I'm addicted to even if nobody else here is. I've heard they want to jump ahead and just go to the new seasons now with this, <laughs> like should, follow this. They should totally do this. They've got Prince Andrew and they've got these two. This, this is where the meat is on the bones for this Ava, series. Ava DuVernay wants to direct those already, so I'm all for that. <laughs> I think this is what we need. Yes, no, it's a ratings. I mean, for Netflix, it's just more good news for Netflix, I think. <laughs> but awesome. um, no, I mean, I just think that I, I wouldn't like it. We wouldn't like it. I mean, it seems like, it. you know, when you think about it for two seconds, that it's you're rich and you have essentially no responsibilities and you can be a dissipated Prince Margaret if you want to or you can be Prince Charles and worry about the environment for 40 years. But you can do whatever you want. It seems great. But I get the feeling it's probably not. I'm not I guess I'm not surprised that two young, foodie, kind of modern, halfway American people wouldn't want to do this. I mean I have a lot of respect for Harry because at least he and his brother both served versus like every – um, offspring of any president that we've had, mm, right. not including people in office currently that they themselves didn't serve. So at least they feel like real people in a sense, the last two. I mean, maybe it has to do with seeing them grow up after Princess Diana died and being seeing all of that happen and then, you know, marrying Meghan Markle. Like, how could you not love the dude for that? Like, and give him props because she's amazing. So, but the rest of the royalty just sucks and I feel like we've been kind of in our own country pulled into that with our 
dynasties of presidential people that we've got going on. Right. I mean, it is, it, 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 and we've now done this multiple times now, starting with the Kennedys and, and the Bushes and the Clintons, and God help us if it's the Trumps. And you know, it's Jared's birthday it's, today. It's He's there. thirty-nine years old and Aww. just as smart as he was when he was thirty-eight years old. Um, so yeah, we wouldn't necessarily want to go down that road. So Rich, I know from when when we made you talk about the Crown. Yeah. Well, anyway, just go. Do what you have to do. I say what you need to say. I kind of am excited about this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, that someone infiltrated that, that you know, house of nonsense mm-hmm. and, uh, and brought some black girl magic and, <laughs> and, uh, and made that young, that young boy real. Right. And, um, and boy, that doesn't happen very often. No, and it's funny. You know? to, I mean, it's sad to see the commentary that's been on Twitter about this, which is why I kind of suggested the topic or agreed with McNichols about this, which is the way people just so much hate her for being a normal person coming in and disrupting <laughs> all of that. And like, you know. But Harry was always disruptive. Right. Like he was always kind of the wild child and sort of did what he wanted to and was a little he was he was. Definitely uh, kind of his, his behavior was opposite of William a lot, oh, yeah. like especially through their teen years and like their early 20s. Uh, I always felt like, you know, y- you would hear stories. Didn't he have some like wild night in a hotel room in Vegas or something? Don't forget, he yeah, wore like your, a, that was your cat, actually. Didn't he wear like a Nazi <laughs> costume <laughs> at one point? A Nazi costume. Oh, they did really? A little bit yeah, of yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the big controversy yeah. with him. Bad choice. Bad choice. College yeah. days. College days. I mean, to me, one of the really interesting questions is, so the British family, a British royal family has a really bad relationship, obviously, with the British press. And the British press is especially invasive. Like, to whatever extent, you know, Baron Trump, you know, there's like hands off or whatever. The British press respects no boundaries whatsoever. Um, hence, like, when French leaders come to England, they'll find the newspapers there will write about their private life, lives in a way that the French press never would. Uh, and, and also, there's this institutionalized thing. I think it's called the, the British the Royal Press Rota or Rota, R-O-T-A. But it's a group of newspapers that have this kind of relationship with the royal family where they get access to things first and it is, I guess, rotated around who gets what. And, and you have a lot less control, I think, if you're a member of the royal family than a normal person about even how much you do have to deal with these people who would just as soon destroy you as do anything else. And in the case of Harry, his mother was you know, chased through the streets to her death. These people took pictures of her lying on the pavement. You know, these are horrible people. And, and you know, if nothing else, to be in North America where, I mean, it's not like the press is great or TMZ is some kind of enlightened institution, but to have a little bit of control over how you're perceived and understood – that does seem like a fairly – I mean I, I guess Rich, well, to your point, yeah. I think also here in uh, – there's an expectation of, of our royalty or our celebrities here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if Joaquin Phoenix decides to swing away at paparazzi, you know, we cut him a lot of slack. I mean he'll still get sued but we the people are like, well, yeah, you know, those guys had it coming. Um, that doesn't seem to be uh, playing out with the royals. I mean there's an expectation – uh, that they're going to uh, fill this role and they have to conform to it no matter what. And, um, uh, and I'm just really curious if that expectation is, uh, is born of the people. I mean, are the, are the Brits feeling that way, holding them to those standards? Or is it something about uh, they're maintaining their position of status and, and you know, in their uh, deified role in that country? Uh, that that's uh, prompting them to to hold that um, that position. 
I don't know if this was taught, touched about last week, but it just feels like the way people feel like with the Pope. I mean, where you just had some woman feel so entitled that she yeah. had to like pull him aside. And I know plenty of Catholics probably feel the same way. Like, oh, we're entitled to the Pope. But like feels that way with like the royalty in England where they're just so entitled to like this is their people, which is why they were so upset that American came in and, you know, black American came in to like mm-hmm. be the next duchess and marry their, their Prince Harry, you know. I, I guess, Carolyn, uh, the other question that I would have is how realistic could it be to expect that your life will be that much different? I mean you come to America or you spend half your time in America or it might be Canada. Although it is Canada. I, well, I heard Canada. They say Canada, Canada but you know, Canada screwed up their restaurant reservation in, in Victoria a month ago. I think Canada blew it. Uh, I've actually got – I should say I have a column coming out in the Hearst Newspapers on Sunday where I explain how and why they should move to Connecticut. And I even talked to a kind of super realtor here, the person who sold the 50 cent house. <laughs> uh, and she knows – she's got a house perfect for them. And like – you know, anyway, I learned a lot about a place called Conyers Farm in, in Greenwich. <laughs> but but anyway, I, you know – but the, it's, I'm not serious about this. But the – you know, they're not going to be Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen. They're going to be. It seems to me you can't stop being this thing. You know, I mean, he can't stop being this thing, and I assume that she's married into it. She can't stop being this thing. Whatever that thing is, like when he came and played polo in Greenwich in 2013, it wasn't like you know, I don't know, Guillermo Villa showing up. Or yeah, something. I actually think that they are going to be able to escape some of this, really? and I, th- I do think like their lives are going to be. Uh, a little bit more normal, I I think for I for what is going to be normal for them. I think they're they I I hope for them anyway because I feel like that is exactly what they are hoping. I think that they do want to not have to live under this like microscope and with all the pressures and expectations and demands that. Um, so I'm hoping for them that this is that they're going to get what they're hoping. And I do think to some extent, like if whether they live in Canada or Greenwich or wherever they live, I think they are going to be able to sort of have at least their home life. They can there there will be a different kind of press here that they're going to be able to have some things be more intimate. For sure. They still get the the like security detail because that's a big question. Yeah. And I think some of those things are not ironed out. In fact, the queen uh, has said that she wants this ironed out in the next three or four days. But I don't think they have – I mean there's two things we're waiting for, Nancy Pelosi and the Senate rules and stuff like that. And then also like how the mixit is actually going to work and where – I mean presumably they'll have, some, they'll have some kind of security detail. They, he actually has quite a bit of money. He and William split an inheritance from Diana that was rather large uh, and – I mean at least by our standards. I, do, do we know what their foundation is? Because that's the whole thing, right? They're right. they're they do, leaving. They they're starting up. Yeah, they do big charities. I'm not sure uh, which thing it is. Um, and all right. you don't go under the radar doing that. Right. You're you're on that. Those, no, those no, I think they're going to stay Fair. in the public. Oh, for sure. Like they're they're going to be living the life of a celebrity. But a celebrity is different than a royal. Right. Well, we'll yeah. see. Uh, um, all right. So, uh, by the way, whichever charity it is, tweet that at. WNPR Colin. Knowledge gaps always get kind of pasted in here. Uh, all right. So we're going to switch topics here. This is a topic dear to my heart. I don't know who came up with it. I guess McPants uh, came up with it. But but there's a piece in the Washington Post and there tend to be pieces all over the place. We did a show a few years ago. Katie Tolarski and I did a show on what we called Northmanship, which is the idea of kind of liking – cold weather and choosing cold weather. Uh, and this latest piece is called Most Americans Hate Winter, 
Here's what they're missing. It's by Christopher Ingraham uh, in the Washington Post. Um, it makes an argument. It's also been made in a terrific book by Adam Gopnik with a really long title that I can't remember. Um, and he says, I mean, Ingram basically makes an argument that we're pretty familiar with. Stop being cold. Find something to look forward to. <laughs> embrace the darkness. Get a dog. Think of your grandchildren. Um, so uh, let's just kind of go around the table. Rich, you know, as a cultural affairs commissioner in Hartford, uh, you know that Hartford just comes alive in the winter. It really does. Isn't that amazing that um, – that we that they, they, for a while we had that art sled derby that got shut down, but it was amazing. I hear you it was need amazing. Snow for that, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And we haven't climate had that change. much with this climate change business. That there's uh, skating in the park and um, and this crazy first night thing. And I don't go to any of them. I am the worst cultural commissioner that this city has ever had. Um, I have a powerful aversion to snow, uh, to cold weather. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I'm an island kid, and so uh, so you know. You can I just watch the boy out of Haiti, but you can't take the Haiti out of the Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. You know, cold weather and bodies of water where I can't see the bottom keep me away from it. Wow. All right, that's one. That's one precinct heard from. How about you, Helder? So I was born of immigrants that came from temperate climate. But I was born in January in the middle of a snowstorm. So therefore, my relationship with snow is I absolutely love snow. I love the winter. I love One of the reasons I stay in Connecticut is because I do really like all four seasons. I love the differences. And much like the article put, like, you know, layer up. Just, like, put on some good clothes, go outside. Three years ago, I actually experimented with running through January through snowstorms. Um, would not advise it all the time, but it was great, like, especially in sub-zero weather where it, like, woke me up and – uh was a good shock to the system. So Th- that I could do. Right. I could through. run in the cold. You could run in yeah. the cold. That's it's yeah. wonderful. And I also just love like hibernating at home, like during the really cold winter nights. Just like start a fire, read a book, mm-hmm. do all that type of stuff. And I it does come alive. Like we can do some interesting uh, stuff in the winter inside, but it also does ruin it when you have like a big snowstorm that decides to come in the middle of your birthday every year, and uh, you know no one wants to come to your house on on a snowstorm. And you live in a corner property. <laughs> I don't do that part. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. Uh, Carolyn, how about you? Oh, I hate winter. I hate it so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> high five across the table there, but Rich. But you do a nutcracker, sweetens. I, I know. I, well, okay, so, like, that's, like, Christmas. That's different. It's, like, after Christmas, you round into this, like, dark hell where, like, the days are just short. And, like, right now it's, like, gray. Like, we have no sun. It's dark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It, it's it's just grim to me. And the cold. And winter literally took me down. A couple years ago I fell on the ice and shattered mm-hmm. my ankle. Uh, so now that made me have an even less trusting relationship with it. Um, I just – I, I don't know. I've never liked the cold. I don't know why I live here. Same. <laughs> you know, I, I question that all the time. Uh, I do I do love planning vacations to get out of the cold. That makes me feel really empowered and gives me something to look forward to. Um, and, and I guess I do like the idea of, like, Higa, like, Scandinavian, stay inside, be cozy, that kind of thing. But that's literally all I want to do in winter it takes so much for me to get out of the hibernation of my home and do things, especially – well, I mean obviously I'll show up to like work stuff or whatever. But like socially, it's really hard to get me motivated to do things um, in the cold. 
Okay, so I I'm so we're pretty well balanced out, I, I think, because I, I like winter. Uh, I think most of the people who don't like winter just aren't dressing right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you dress warmly enough, it's not that cold out there, and certainly these days, it's less and less cold. That's not true. It like hurts your face. Yeah. You have to like fully cover your face because the and then you can't tough move. enough. You like that kitten. A Christmas story. The only thing I hate yeah. is my, my stuck out. hands get really dry. So, yeah. One Please. point that Adam Gopnik makes is that we wind up liking the other seasons more because we go through winter, too. I mean, if we lived in an under, like my, my parents, my father was very briefly recruited to be a kind of a Hollywood screenwriter, which would have made my life a lot better, but he couldn't also <laughs> could not stand it. I mean, he, and he couldn't stand the undifferentiation. It wasn't that he was a huge winter fan, but he just didn't like it being the same all the time. Uh, and I do feel as though these variations, you know, make our lives kind of exciting it's a, and fun. Now, the other thing is I think having a dog is really important too because you get outside more. And with I've got Declan, the dog, now, and he's young and he wants to be out in meadows and he doesn't care how cold it gets and he wants to – he literally laid down, he and a dog named Gump, laid down in a, in a gully full of icy water in a meadow in Simsbury a couple of days ago, you know, just to kind of rest in this ice water. But it sort of changes your relationship. Like you re- suddenly realize, well, it's kind of beautiful out here in this meadow and I see the moon rise, which unfortunately is happening at, you know, 445 or something. <laughs> but but um, and seasonal affective disorder is real and I get it, but you get it less if you're sort of out a lot in what light there is all the time and – and so, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm with the author of this story. I think also one of my cultural theories is we celebrate a thing when, it's, when we're losing it. So Wild West shows happen really when the Wild West was going away, you know, and we had shows like Northern Exposure and Picket Fences about idiosyncratic small American towns when in fact CVS and Boston Market were taking over all mm-hmm. small towns. Uh, and I sort of feel like there's going to be – there's a lot of celebration of winter these days and Nordic culture, Scandinavian uh, stuff, uh, yeah, Hygge and <laughs> and all that stuff. And I think it's because we're <laughs> – 25 years from now, this is going to be a distant memory. It's going to be 60 degrees. It's going to be 60 degrees in Connecticut this weekend at the end of January. I mean, to to Rich's point of uh, us losing the art sled derby because of the fact that it just isn't Mm -hmm. snowing as much, one of the things I do love about the winter is just it's a whole other type of natural beauty when, like, you get a really beautiful, like, snowfall and that moment between, like – the plows coming out to destroy everything and clear the potentially clear the road because they don't really do a good job of that. You were really a part of that. Can you tell? I don't know if anybody knows what the arts. I went to it because it was right near my house in Elizabeth Park, yeah. and so, I do miss it. So, uh, <clears throat> local artist Paul Spirito put together this idea of like with uh, Ann Coverley and Kyone mm-hmm. uh, Wolf of um, uh, people creating their sleds, decorating them, and then on the hill of Elizabeth Park on the Hartford side, just doing this uh, thing, who decorated it the best, how far would it go, and giving prizes for that. And I think Paul was able to do it for about four years, but he did it, you know, no money at the start. They created their own trophies. They got a little bit of money to help out with that afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he got lucky that it would snow yeah. <laughs> inevitably. I don't know what snow dance he would do to, like, get one. people to come out. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, like, it kept mm-hmm. getting people, but it just was I w- hard to do as a volunteer. I, I uh, watched someone go down that hill. I think it was probably uh, Anthony Trollis on a, yep. you know, Four-poster bed. The four-poster bed sled. (laughs) So I should also say it's not just Hartford. I mean New Haven uh, – I went went down to see the show The Plot at Yale Rep uh, in December. Boy, it was beautiful at night there. I mean the way that they decorate that city and stuff like that. They have a bar right now um, at the – 
it's one of the hotel, the Blake Hotel, mm-hmm. the High George Bar, which is like our rooftop bar. They have it all enclosed with heaters and they have it all decorated to kind of have this like après ski vibe. You can actually nice. do shot skis. They have like a ski that has shot glasses on it and you and your friends can do. And they have themed cocktails. It's really quirky but and fun. But it's indoors, right? It is indoors. Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, but I, well, I guess it is kind of like a semi-enclosed rooftop, but because of the heaters, you're, you're fine out there. Mm. And they have like fur on the chairs. It's actually fun. And for someone who hates winter, for me to say that I actually enjoyed that winter bar experience. Maybe it was the shot ski. But so you're just finding your winter sport. That's all. Right. <laughs> so you've discovered it now. All right. We should take a break. We need lots of time to talk about Star Wars. We're going to be adding also another debut panelist via Skype here as we get ready to talk about the final movie in the nine movie main trunk line of Star Wars. All right, so we're back. We're getting ready uh, to talk about the new uh, Star Wars movie, which is Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Here in the studio with me, Rich Holland, Helder Mira, Carolyn Payne. We're joining us by Skype, too. So I think I've mentioned this guy on the air before. I, I get a lot of really interesting emails. I do. I mean, and I get some that are not so interesting. But, uh, but like, I think the most interesting emails I've gotten in years have come from this guy, uh, Ed Krakowiak, who first started emailing me way back when the Cats trailer came out, and he revealed that as a Navy vet, he was on long submarine trips and they would watch all kinds of movies and they would also get into all kinds of cultural arguments that you don't imagine the Navy getting into. And one of the arguments that they got into, I don't know if it was an argument or not, but a discussion of like, how would you adapt cats for the movies? (laughs) I I mean, I just, the fact that the Navy is discussing this makes me feel so much better about the world actually. Uh, But anyway, one thing I discovered about Ed as we struck up a correspondence is he really knows a lot about Star Wars. I don't know if he knows as much about Star Wars as Helder. I don't even want to know which one of you knows more about Star Wars. I'm going to go with Ed. Okay. So maybe Ed does. Um, And so uh, we should just say now The Rise of Skywalker. It's the third and final movie in the third and final trilogy, the sequel trilogy and the trilogy of trilogies, according to McPants. Uh, I take no responsibility for the words that I'm reading right now in the so-called Skywalker saga of the Star Wars narrative. Uh, I could go on, but I won't. Um, So anyway, somehow it's all over, but of course it's not. I guess maybe that's the first question that I have for you, uh, Mavens, uh, is – and Ed, since your voice has not been heard yet and you're joining us via Skype. Like I don't know. Is this whole – I know the whole thing isn't over. The brand is not over. But now that we've seen these nine movies – are we at some kind of discernible end point where we think, well, okay, so that's that? Hi, Colin. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me on. Yeah, sure. uh, hope you guys can hear me all yeah, right. You're great. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't think Star Wars is over as a franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always George Lucas's original concept to do a three trilogy set of nine movies. Uh, so we got that three trilogy set of the Skywalker saga, which has come to an end. Right. Uh, the Skywalker line is no more. Uh, are we doing spoilers? I, I think all real, all the real fans probably already seen the, seen the movie by now. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should like spoil, spoil big things. Mm-hmm. And and McNichol can already figure out what it is that you want to say, and he says you can't say it. Um, yeah. Well, but hold that thought for a second. So, Helder, is anything over? I guess he says this. The this like there's just no more Skywalkers. So. Like, I mean, I think I've gotten that, so confused about this plot. I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to care about anymore. So tell like, me, like Edwin was saying, like I remember like watching Return of the Jedi and thinking, oh, that's the end. But then knowing that Lucas wanted to do another trilogy and waiting for waiting desperately, like with bated breath, for that second trilogy to give us, you know, the following story of Luke and and uh, Leia. I was about to say Carrie, just like Luke did. Um, but anyway. <clears throat> Uh, seeing all of that, wanting it, wanting it, and finally getting to see the prequels, which were just a miserable storyline, to introduce uh, Anakin and get us to see Anakin, which is the first guy, you know, Darth Vader and all that. So getting to see that is the full story. I'm glad this tr- trilogy of trilogies is over, and I'm happy with how this series ended. I I know it's a touchy subject for a lot of people because I was actually a fan of the Last Jedi. So seeing Luke's story through the Last Jedi, I know brought up a lot of pain for people. I was kind of happy because I'm like, look, he was always a whiny little brat. What do we want? <laughs> like, it, just continue the story, even as an old man hiding somewhere on an island. But uh, I feel like the rise of Skywalker opens doors to a new idea, but at least the core uh, core Skywalker story is over. And there are plenty of books you can read and comic books that have been coming out and even animated series that tell the story of Darth Vader before he was Darth Vader and stories between all the movies to still relate to that. And the franchise is going to continue in new, fresh ways like Rogue One, Solo, uh, The Mandalorian. I'm looking forward to that, the new stories. Right. I will say, as I said to everybody, I've said many times on the show too, I actually think these other one-off movies are much better for me anyway. Like Rogue One, I can really kind of follow that from beginning to end. There's a discernible story. I don't, you know, and 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 I, I just thought it was sort of well plotted and well told. And I felt the same way about Solo. I know people had problems with that movie. I, I thought it was great and funny and fun to watch and had a beginning and a middle and an end and I got it. Uh, I, this other thing, well, Carolyn, so – I'm, I, I've given up trying to anticipate how you're going to react to things. So just tell me how you reacted to this movie. Well, OK. So I'm a huge Star Wars fan of like the original three, the the right. garbage stuff with like Jar Jar Binks that I, in my mind just doesn't even exist. Like I just don't won't let that live anywhere. Uh, the These now, I guess what we're calling like seven, eight, nine. Uh, you know, I had problems with this one. There, I mean, it, it held my interest. I am not mad at it, but it did feel like it worked really hard to like wrap this up in a big bow mm-hmm. for us and put make this like the the finale. I mean, especially when like I, I don't know if this is giving anything away, but when Han Solo's ghost showed up, I was like, was he even on the call sheet? Did Harrison Ford just like show up and was like, yo, I'm I'm gonna do this scene? And they're like, oh, okay, he's here. It just felt so disconnected. <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> no, but I feel like he could, and he probably did. Well, he's not so in the credits, right? Yeah. Someone pointed that out. He's I think Edwin had, had Edwin had a great point in one of the emails about that particular scene. If you want to talk about it, well, we just, I, we, I agreed. We with just that. lost Ed's Skype connection. Oh so, no, uh, so, it's being jammed. Well, by I did the, agree with it. That the, the like writing in that moment that yeah. was cute. That was it was it was cute. Yeah. But also like the Ewoks just like popping up <laughs> for nothing. Uh, yeah, for Import, nothing. At yeah. least like let them do their little yip yip song. That <laughs> one thing I would say about one of the critiques that came out about. Uh, Rise of Skywalker that I saw um, and I saw many and I agreed with a lot of them. It's not a great movie. 
Um, I enjoyed it, but it's a completely different story. Yeah. But one of the things with that is that there was so much done to make Kylo Ren essentially likable that they had to bring in all the other cast members to do it. Like the old cast members, like you've got Carrie, you know, Carrie Fisher as Leia trying to like make him redeemable. And then you have this moment with Han Solo that like as this attempt to make him redeemable. And same thing with even Ray, like. All right. Uh, yeah. So Rich hasn't spoken yet. I just want to point that out. You yeah. Must speak now. So about this movie, um, <laughs> I feel like it's it would be really easy to be very critical of this movie. Uh, the writing was, you know, was lousy. Um, it was pat, pat, pat all over the place. Uh, um, the the tension lines were only held together by the power of of super fast editing that we've yet to see in uh, in these Star Wars movies. You know where uh, you know where the craft superseded uh, the performances and superseded you know pretty much everything else. And yet, I have been living with this series uh, since I was. Um, 16 years old or so, uh, maybe a little younger. Uh, that series has been alive in my home practically every day uh, with little kids uh, for over 26 years now. Um, so this is a part of the narrative of my family. Uh, it's a part of the, the narrative of um, how I raise children. Uh, it's uh, how they, how these five kids relate to each other, um, and uh, it's a hard goodbye, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, that uh, that if this, um, I can't wish for it to to go on further because it does feel like the arc of the story is completed, and we could fill in some of the pieces in between. But this was a, a an actually hard goodbye to some uh, folks that are part of our family. I feel the same way. In fact, when I went to see it, when I was walking out, I had a very emotional experience with it. The first movie I ever saw in a theater was Return of the Jedi. And I mm-hmm. kind of convinced my parents to like stand in line with me on a hot Sunday afternoon to go see it. And they don't like sci-fi. They didn't get into it. They didn't understand it because their language barrier. But my mother sat there with me. She watched it with me. She you know, enjoyed it because I was enjoying it. The first job I ever did as a 10-year-old to get like Aaron... Aaron money was like to buy an X-Wing, which by the time I went to buy mm-hmm. it, having earned enough money, was no longer available. So when I first, when I got my house recently, I was able to like buy an X-Wing Lego set and yeah. build it for myself and have that. And Star Wars has always been there as a part of me, like growing up, watching the movies. I watched Star Wars, the first one, over and over and over. When the prequels came out, I stomached them, but like hated them. And this one, just like seeing the end, the way I felt like good closure to me um, as a moment where I'm experiencing something personal with my mother mm-hmm. where she's going through some hell and it's like it just created this emotional thing especially with seeing Leia one last time and all that so it's yeah. a it's it's gonna be hard to like not have that as part of our mythos anymore yeah and you know and with all the criticism that you know that I started my statement with about the script and the writing, et cetera, um, when I compare it to you know to some of these other series like the um, the Marvel series or you know any of the superhero series, right? It functions really differently. Uh, it's devoid of that cynicism. It's you know it's uh, it's imperfect in its desire to be about something absolute. And boy, man, we don't get that enough. 
And if you I know, can just people don't pull it off. See, yeah, I'm sort of the Star Wars Grinch here, and I should I confess that. And obviously, with these kinds of emotional kind of imprinting connections that you're talking about, I mean, it's really uh, there's no way you can kind of argue about that. Those those are real. Those are you know the things that you fall in love with when you're a kid. I so I was quite a bit older actually when the first Star Wars came out. To me. The, the, that first arc of three movies was really exciting. And you had like Joseph Campbell talking about the fact that, you know, in, in a world that kind of had lost track uh, of its uh, of its uh, capacity to believe in and derive meaning from mythic structure, yeah. that Star Wars had stepped in and actually told a story that was, you know, that, that, that mirrored Gilgamesh and the Aeneid and things like that and had these messages and that the force, you know, was a thing that you could really kind of talk about it. As, you know, I mean, he, he was a, a student of both mythology and, and and religion itself, you know. And so there was so much going on there. And then these other three movies came on and kind of bungled everything. And, and I started to see this as a place where they were not able to identify bad ideas. Jar Jar Binks is a bad idea. Having a big anti-Semitic bug with a hooked nose flap, flapping around, that's a really bad idea, mm-hmm. you know. Having a character named Mace Windu, that's a stupid name and it's not a good use for Samuel Jackson. And and, you know, and 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 I just thought, wow, they just don't know the difference between a good idea and a bad idea anymore. They just lost this thing. And so watching these last three movies, I've sort of struggled with can they get it back? And I, I thought the first one they really did. And I had sort of mixed feelings about the second one. I certainly didn't have any of the problems people had with that poor character Rose who like has to announce at the beginning of the, th- the final movie that she's not going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> she like says to her, like, that was the worst. Unfortunately, I'm not in this movie. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a character, you know, sort of stay in character and just say, I'm just not going to be in this. Um, but, you know, it was sort of okay. And then this thing was a mess. And it, I think I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up. And I blame J.J. Abrams a lot for this. And oh, yeah. I, my problem with J.J. Abrams, you know, Carolyn, you said this was an attempt to kind of land this whole story to sort of get to the end of it. But J.J. Abrams's way of doing that is often by adding more stuff. He always adds more stuff. So the arc of this particular movie is that all kinds of other new things are introduced that then you have to go to a place to deal with that thing and then that thing leads to another thing. And then there's one point, and this is not a spoiler, where there's a thing they've been looking for and somebody breaks it. And then a little bit later, one of the characters is somewhere else and picks up another one of them and goes, oh, yeah, here's the other one. <laughs> no, look, with no buildup whatsoever. <laughs> it's just, oh, it turns out yeah. here's the other one. That you happened know. a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I just sort of thought, wow. Because, you know, J.J. Abrams has quite a reputation. Like, you can't get this story told any better than that. We have Ed back anyway, and he has been silent for a while. Let me get him back up. We lost Skype. You just – you never know with Skype what's going to happen. So, Ed, you've been listening to me rant and rave. Tell me uh, what a fool I am. I, I, I deserve it. I deserve it. Go ahead. No, everybody has uh, has a right to their own opinions. And, I mean, I really enjoyed this uh, this three-movie uh, uh, trilogy. I I think the wrap-up in The Rise of Skywalker is wonderful. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of folks are uh, focusing too much on the little details or the thing, the, the MacGuffin that they, they were in search of, and then it just all, all of a sudden turns up. Well, it was, it was kind of there the whole time, but not really. And it's, it's just kind of... <laughs> It's kind of funny, and there's there's all types of fun parts in the movie where you kind of feel like the writers might have been uh, making fun of some of the snarky fan base, uh, which I found absolutely hilarious. There's a scene about 
30 minutes in where uh, Snaff, one of the resistance pilots, is giving bad news to Rose and Leia. And Rose is just like, can't you just be optimistic? I mean, we're not going to... That was what I love that. Yeah, you're not going to... You're not going to be able to please everybody, and I think they they realized that very early on, uh, even with Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And I I'm on board with loving The Last Jedi. I thought that was a fantastic movie. It got a lot of criticism because it was unlike anything we'd ever seen uh, as far as Star Wars goes. And yeah, all right. So. Well, well argued, I'd say. And I, I think the other problem here, and maybe we can go around the table and talk about this a little bit, is that this this series, and, and so this is what excites my sympathies for everybody, except maybe J.J. Abrams. Uh, our producer, McPants, is pointing out that J.J. Abrams is incredibly talented but notoriously bad at endings, which raises the question, why would you have him direct the last <laughs> movie? But um, Which is a very good question. But, you know, I mean, Rich, my sympathies are excited for a lot of what all of you have been saying, which is this thing means so much to so many people and on so many different levels. And so you have these, as Ed says, snarky fans who, you know, have all kinds of weird investments in this and get really upset about little things that aren't bothering regular people. And and then you have regular people who still want to get something out of this. And then you have this way, it's you described the way it's woven into the life of your house, your family. Family, same with Helder, uh, and and so it's kind of like how could you ever make movies that wouldn't somehow disappoint, you know, large? Like, how, how can, I mean, you're, you're serving so many masters, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the question. Oh well, I guess how how you know, is that the problem that there's just too many people with too many different kinds of investment in this yeah, franchise? So so I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, if, the, if that's a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is one – I maintain that this is one of those things that just gets to be what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the flip side of it, um, truly the, the master of all of the decisions that are made here, uh, you know, is, is the consumer market, right? It's the, it's the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, um, a friend that heads up uh, a franchising for a major corporation and she heads up the, you know, the Star Wars licensing. And um, she got to see a preview of this thing. And they know right away that they're going to make a lot of money mm-hmm. off of this movie. You know, they're going to they're going to get to um, to relaunch a whole bunch of product. And um, and because you know that uh, embedded in all of this imperfection, embedded in this, you know, this thing that uh, uh, that could be uh, critically kicked to the curb mm. um, is, you know, something that's touching hearts and, and minds, you and know, also, and exciting people. Babu Rick or whatever his Babu name Frick. is. Well, Babu Frick. Well, so I – That's $800 billion I right went there, to anyway. uh, the new Star Wars mm. world in at Disney World mm-hmm. in the fall, like right after it opened. And they have a Babu Frick shop there. And at the time, like that meant nothing. nothing yeah. yeah. So seeing this movie did – it, you know, I, I was like, oh, this makes sense what they did there and what they had and, um, you know, the way thing named and some of the toys they were selling. They were, you know, jumping ahead of themselves. They were ready for you. They right. were ready. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that was interesting to kind of have already 
learned about some of these characters and seen this and then to see this movie and get them into a context. All right. I'm, so, being, I'm being commanded that we got to take a break here. So we're going to take a break. Hopefully Ed will stay for recommendations and endorsements. Uh, I'll have a, a producer check in with Ed about that. But uh, we got to do those on the other side of this. And we are back. Welcome back. Okay, first of all, I got to thank various people because I keep forgetting to write scripts for Wolfie. So, uh, first of all, let me thank Kion Wolf. She's on the board, running stuff, making it all sound great. Jonathan McNichol is the long-suffering producer uh, of the nose, uh, and Bitsy Kaplan, our senior producer, is uh, probably running around putting out fires right now. And I should say that uh, tomorrow at noon. Is another episode. I believe it's episode six of Pardon Me, which is uh, our brand new show. Well, it's not that new anymore. It's actually called Pardon Me, another damn impeachment show. Uh, we are putting the finishing touches on it right now. Uh, it'll run at noon here on the station on Connecticut Public uh, tomorrow, Saturday, but it's also available all the time as a podcast. Uh, please check it out. I mean, we have stuff this week, as usual, that I don't think you're going to hear any place else in terms of things people are saying. Our guests include Sarah Kenzior, who has like the most apocalyptic view of the Trump presidency of anybody on earth, I think, but also Bruce Ackerman, a professor, a Yale professor at uh, law professor at Yale, who says some stuff that I haven't heard other people say about the role John Roberts might wind up playing here. So anyway, uh, check that out. Uh, and so we're going to go around the table here, get some recommendations. We're going to get some from Ed, too. So let's start out with Carol. Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us? All right. Well, in case you rely on me to deliver you your garbage TV recommendation, <laughs> I am here to deliver solid for you. We kind of do. Yeah. Uh, okay. Check out The Circle on Netflix. It is a Netflix-produced reality show um, that is a – they describe it as a social media competition. Um, it is fascinating. It is weird. Uh, basically, it's all these people living in these – Super cool decorated apartments, but they never get to actually interact with each other as humans. They solely get to know each other and message via this like app called The Circle. Um, I know if you, right now you're in a panic and you're like, no, I will not watch this. But I am telling you that once you commit to it and just kind of go numb to it, it is really interesting. <laughs> so go check out the circle. I think it is such a fascinating look at where we're at. So you see, it's like Sichuan food. The, you, eventually, the pepper makes you numb, and then you kind of you know, right, you're not exactly. bothered as much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So the circle on Netflix from Carolyn Helder. What have you got for us? I'd be remiss if my debut I didn't immediately plug uh, my film experience at Cine Studio. Cine Studio is one of the best movie theaters around, and we're celebrating the 50th anniversary wow. this year. So after experiencing, like, Sinopolis last night, which was fun, but at the same time, like, being interrupted by, like, people walking back and forth with Sinopolis iPads. Sinopolis is a refurbished multiplex in the Blueback Square in West Hartford where they do do, do, do sort of seat-side yeah. uh, table service. Yeah. So that was kind of awkward, and I see why, like... <laughs> Cine Studios never had food or beverage there, but um, it's also just great projection. We have 70 millimeter films and um, when we can, and then 4K projection. We've got amazing stuff coming up, so I have to, you know, good recommend plug. good endorsement. Yep, yeah, go. no, right. it really is. It's just if you really care about a movie, you should probably see it on really good equipment, and it doesn't get any better than and Cine Studio. Uh, Rich, what have you got for us? Whenever, I, <clears throat> whenever I think of Star Wars, uh, first of all, just watch Rogue One again. 
Simple one. Yeah. Um, uh, but whenever I think of Star Wars, right, uh, I take it off the TV, which is where we live with it a lot now, and I take it away from the theater because that's where we saw it at first. Um, go uh, and watch this little tiny movie called um, Death to the Tin Man. Hmm. Um, it is phenomenal. Uh, you'll only find it on YouTube or, or digital platforms like that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be split into a couple of parts, so you got to piece it together. It is worth the watch. It, um, it's a, a sci-fi kind of thing uh, done in the most humble way. And it's a beautiful, passionate story of love and maintaining identity um, and, uh, death, you know. Death to the Tin Man. Death All right. to the Tin Man. Just before well, we run out of time, I want to give uh, Ed Krakowiak a, a chance. So what are, you, what are you going to recommend to us or endorse, Ed? Uh, I always will endorse Downtown Mystic, uh, West Main Street in particular, and a uh, place that I've worked since a teenager on and off, the Mystic Army Navy store and uh, Green Marble Coffee House. Uh, oh, sounds yeah. great. We're coming right down. Oh. All right, Downtown Mystic, Green Marble Coffee House, and then uh, go and uh, see if you can run into Ed at the Army Navy store. I will quickly, since uh, Hilder endorsed a movie theater, first of all, yes, Cine Studio, yes, Real Artways. These are uh, Hartford's so lucky to have those two places. I actually think it's a place where we rule over New Haven and any other Connecticut city. I mean, I really think our ability, where we can watch movies are just so good, particularly those two places. But also, I saw this movie and, and, and Little Women, too, at Spotlight Theaters uh, down in Front Street. These are beautiful theaters. The equipment's very well maintained. The sound is terrific. Uh, it's, you know, it's easy to park. You park in the garage. They validate your ticket. It's like $2 to get your car out. But uh, you're gonna, and, and the popcorn is like way better than at some of the big chains and it's stuff true. like that. It's true. Their popcorn yeah. is really their po- good. Their popcorn so good. Is, is really, really good. So uh, so don't, you know, and you you sort of helped build that, whether you knew it or not. So, so don't ignore it. Also, uh, it's sort of interesting. Two of the best performances of the year are maybe in movies that a lot of people didn't like. One of them, obviously, is Joaquin Phoenix in, in Joker, but the other one is Renee Zellweger in Judy, which maybe is not the greatest movie in the world, but she's amazing. She deserves every award she gets. <laughs> 